this is this relationship between, like we keep pulling ourselves back to trying to follow the rules because following the rules is efficient. It's, it's clean, it's black and white, it's, it's definable. It's also incredibly lifeless and stark and barren and lonely. And God's desire for us isn't that we keep the rules. Moral perfection is not the goal of this Christian journey. Connection with the Father is. When, when I say to you, your highest good, the greatest version of you in this world is to be fully engrossed in the presence of God. For many of us, we're like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. For, for many of us also, it's like, but I have these other things that I wanna do. I have a great term for those other things that you wanna do, they're called idols. There's nothing more important to us than being with God. There's nothing. Our highest achievement as human beings is to be fully engulfed in the presence of God. That's what we're made for. Guys, I'm so excited about prayer night. Like, you gotta come tonight. You gotta. Show up. Before you get toe up from the flow up. No, it's so good. And God is always so present. Uh, I, I'm just like this whole last week, I've been like, I can't wait for prayer night. I need, some, I need me some extra dose of Jesus. Like, he's just there, and, it, and his presence is thick in the room, and it's amazing. So I want you to come and check that out with us tonight at 6. Um, I, I know I say this all the time, but we have so many things to talk about today. Um, and so um, I'm going to try to move at an incredible rate of speed um, what I want to try to tackle today is the, the spectrum between rules and relationships. So we're in this conversation around what is the church and what is it supposed to be and uh, when we come here, what can we expect and all of those kinds of things. Um, I, I think on one end of the spectrum, people look at the church as like this place, if I'm going to be a Christian, I'm, I'm, I follow a system of rules and boundaries and, and that's all closed in and um, there's that piece and it's very rigid and, and it's boxes. It's, everything's confined and defined and don't, don't mess with that. On the other end of the spectrum is this like, um, we just love each other and like whatever, man. Like God's grace covers it all, right? Um, somewhere in the middle, and I, and I think we can fall off the, in, off the road on both sides. Like, I think we can go too far both directions. Somewhere in the middle, we find Jesus. And so I want to try to strike a balance and help us kind of draw some understanding around why do we have rules 
And why do we have to follow the rules? Like if grace is bigger than all of my sin, why do I need rules? Why can't I just go along and kind of just me and the spirit and I kind of fill it? Um, and then furthermore, what is, what is it that gives me the strength to follow the rules? And um, do I just need to grit my teeth and go? And what does that mean? So I kind of want to try to live in that space. And there are so many different places that this sermon could go. Um, and I... Uh, I, I know because several people after first service said, hey, but what about this and what about this? Great questions, great conversations, and um, it was wonderful. And, but um, yeah, I, this is a big topic, big one, big one, big topic. And so I mean, we're, we're gonna try to uh, walk in the middle. If I do it well, I'm gonna make people on both sides of the conversation uncomfortable. Um, and then now we get to wrestle in our life groups this week with why we're uncomfortable, Right? With that, so um, I want to begin in Galatia, like you know, like you do uh, often. Um, Galatia is an interesting place for Paul to go on his first missionary journey. I want to I want to show you a map. So this is Turkey, um, modern day Turkey. When we go to Turkey, this is where we go. Um, and so Galatia is this middle region here, and it looks geographically, it's pretty basic. It's um, very much like Parker, but minus the Rocky Mountains, like Parker moving towards Nebraska. Like that's that. It looks like that. It's pretty flat, pretty basic, pretty not very beautiful. Um, not, not a lot of texture or color, different things. Um, it, it's kind of this no man's land in the middle region between. So on one side you have over here in Syria, you have Antioch and these big cities over here, right? This this is big. And then if you go south, you're down into Egypt. If you go further over the Fertile Crescent, you're into Babylon. But this, you have that section of the world. And then you have these big cities over here, Smyrna and Ephesus and Miletus, these seven churches of, of Revelation. Two weeks, two weeks. We're starting Revelation, two weeks. So don't, don't ask me when we're starting Revelation, two weeks. Um, weeks. Um, but these big cities that are over here, these are important cities in the Roman Empire. And then you have all these important cities and regions over here. You have all these. Galatia is like no man's land. It's like this kind of transition point. It's roads. Why does God send him here? Right? Like what is going on here? And what's interesting is the Jewish community that he finds here is from the house of Shammai. Now we've talked some about Shammai and Hillel and, and the two kind of, these are the two kind of big rabbinic schools in the first century. And they're very different. Um, I'll give you an example of how they're different. There was a Roman who went to Shammai and said, teach me Torah while I stand on one leg and I will believe. And Shammai beat him with a builder's rod. He went to Hillel and said, teach me Torah while I stand on one leg and I'll believe. And Hillel said, don't do to others what you wouldn't want done to you. The rest is just commentary. That was his, by the way, there were seven great rabbinic debates in the, in the first century world. Jesus sides with Hillel on six of those. He sides with Shammai in the area of divorce. The rest of them, he said, so if you started pulling apart what did they specifically teach, Jesus was much more in line with Hillel and he, he was more uh, about people and loving well and doing that kind of thing. Shammai was about the rules, like the rigid, the whew, keep the rules. Like think, um, 
in our modern context, like Westboro Baptist Church, and so, you know, the real dogmatic, like, don't step out of line, we will browbeat you into submission, that kind of approach to keeping the rules. This is kind of where Shamites came from. And the Jews in this area of Galatia are Shamites. They're from the school of Shammai. So they're very rigid. They're very much um, about the rules and the boxes and the tasks, okay? Now, this is review for some of you, but it's gonna be important because uh, it'll play into our conversation. There's three parts to the Jewish law. There's the moral law, the cultic law, and the works of the law. So the moral law is like... um, don't lie, don't steal, you know, don't covet, those kinds of moral things. There's those pieces. The cultic law is anything attached to the temple. And then the works of the law, the mixamahaseh Torah is what it is in Hebrew. This is the parts of the law that make you Jewish. And so of the 613 commands that there are, our task as a community is to figure out which laws go into which category. Some of them are really easy. Some of them are more difficult to figure out. And so we as a community figure that out together, which laws go into which category. And that matters because a lot of people get confused about Paul's message. When Paul steps into this context, uh, his message was never that God was done with the Jews. God has rejected them. He's That was not his message to the Jews. His message was, because of Christ, Gentiles don't have to become Jewish in order to worship God. The Gentiles are no longer obligated to uphold the works of the law, the part that makes us Jewish. And this is why it's really important for us to figure out which rules go where, because you and I are still obligated to don't lie, right? Like the moral law, there's, there's pieces of the law that we're still under an obligation to fulfill, but the parts that make us Jewish were not. And this created a huge discussion in the early church in the relationship between Jews and Gentiles as they come together to follow Christ at the same time. This is a big deal. I mean, you think about, like the, obviously this is gonna include eating kosher, right? You can't have bacon. Well, in Christ, bacon it up. Right, you know the cutting of the sides of your hair, wearing tassels, um, wearing kippah, the honoring Shabbat. Um, the big one, probably the biggest point of conversation, is circumcision. Like, if you're a Gentile in Christ, you don't have to be circumcised in order to worship God, which is a big deal. Like, that's honestly a huge selling point. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't ever know how far to push that, but like, you get, you get my point on this one. Um, so this discussion is huge, and, and the, the wrestling match in the Jewish world for these Jews in Galatia, especially because they're so rigid, they're so about the rules, that these are people that are like, no, you can't say that they can just come to God any old way they want. They have to come to God within the boundaries. We have the rules. Because that's who they are, that's how they think, right? They're very fundamentalist, very legalistic. And so Paul is having this conversation in the book of Galatians around this topic of the relationship between faith in Christ and the rules, okay? And so I'm gonna read you a huge chunk 
of scripture. And, and I'm, I'm kind of sorry, not sorry. It's long, but it's a, it kind of frames this discussion around this two sides of this, uh, of this debate. So uh, let's start. Verse 15 of chapter two. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So let's start there. Like, thanks, Paul, you jerk. <laughs> well, I know we can get a little testy about that, but um, let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you a Gentile? Yeah, are you a sinner? You're a Gentile sinner. So he's not trying to pick on you. It's just true. It's just true. You're not to get all emotionally hurt about it. <laughs> he hurt me in my, my heart. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. What's that? That's the part of the law that makes me Jewish, right? That's, that's what that is. That we're not justified by the part of the law that makes us Jewish. He's trying to make a case for the fact that you don't have to be Jewish in Christ. You don't have to be Jewish to worship this God. And they are having a terrible time with it. Um, so... We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. It's our faith in Jesus that declares us righteous. You can't be declared righteous, right standing with God, just because you kept the rules. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Here we go again. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So no one's made righteous by being Jewish, Jewish, not even the Jews. You know why? Because eventually you're going to break a rule. Eventually you're going to break a rule. You're going to. You're going to eat a piece of bacon. <laughs> and you're going to be all sneaky about it, but God knows. He knows. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Like, oh, well, so, so what you're saying is there are no boundaries. People can do whatever they want. Just say, I believe in Jesus. Um, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor, which means there are rules, there are boundaries, and we actually are obligated to follow them, but the question is why? Why do we have the rules that we have and why do I have to follow them? For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In other words... When I give my life to Jesus, my flesh gets put to death. Now, it tries to stay alive, but my flesh gets put to death. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. Um, so now, when I move in the world, I don't move with my perspective anymore. Now I have to take on the perspective of Jesus. I have to see the world as Jesus sees the world. That's what it means for him to be my Savior and my Lord. That's what that means. So if I call myself a Christian, I have to see the world through the lens of Jesus. Because I don't live anymore. I'm his. I belong to him. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for righteous, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If I could, if I could be righteous by keeping the law, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But that's, we can't. Oh, foolish Galatians, 
Who has bewitched you? By the way, Paul is not nice to the Galatians. The, this word foolish, like remember Jesus says, call no man fool. So the fact that he uses this word to describe him is a big deal. And this is the only letter that Paul writes where he doesn't say, I thank my God every time I remember you. He immediately is like, Paul, apostle of Christ, da, 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 da. I cannot believe how quickly you've abandoned the faith you were given. That's, what he, that's where he starts. Like, come on, people, you're better than this. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law? By being Jewish? Or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? He reinforces, he doubles down on it. Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Like you, you started with this surrendering of your life and now you're trying to control it with your own will. Is that, is that how you're, trying, you're gonna do this? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now by, for, the, for the record here, it doesn't say that Abraham believed in God. It says he believed God and that's different. He trusted in God enough to do something about it. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. The man of faith for all who rely on works of the law that are under a curse for it is written cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So what he says is, listen, if you want to live by the law, you're promising that you're going to be under a curse because you can't keep the law flawlessly. You can't. No one can. So as soon as you choose to make it about the rules, you have become cursed. You've cursed yourself. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith, rather the one who does them shall live by, faith, by them. Um, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What a beautiful statement. Christ took us out of the need for the curse of the rules by taking on the curse himself for you and me. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. So what he says is, even in human terms, when you enter into a covenant with another human, you can't undo it. You can't. It's not undoable. That's the way covenant works. So the promises that were made to Abraham and to his offspring, it does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. So Abraham, who's justified by faith, 
that covenant doesn't go away because the law showed up. All the law did, and he's gonna say this, is prove to us that we can't keep the rules. So as to make the promise void, for if, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it, is no longer, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Why then the law? Why do we need the law at all then? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Here's what he's saying. The reason we have the law is because people were living against it and they didn't know. Now the question is, well, then why is that so important? Um, Why are the rules the rules when they aren't even the rules? Are we confused yet? We'll get there. We'll we'll start tying all these pieces together. Um, Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? No, uh, certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. What the scriptures did was they defined for us what is God's desire and what goes against God's desire. That's what the scriptures did. The law came in and defined all of that. The reason why the law was important is because we were violating what God desires for us and we didn't even know that we were violating it. We didn't know. And so God gave us the law so that we could know. It doesn't mean we stopped violating. It just means now we know that we're doing it. Now we're guilty. <laughs> like, well, that sucks. We shouldn't have had the law then. We wouldn't have had any guilt. But we still would have been violating God's heart. That's the problem. So that the promise of by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. Um, Pedagogue is the Greek word. Think uh, Mary Poppins. That's what the law was for us. A live-in nanny, educator, spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, all of that. That's what the law does for us, is it comes in and it stewarded us as humans were developing to the place where the perfect time came so that Jesus could be revealed. That's what the law did. So it wasn't bad, it just was, it was, a, it was a way to educate us on God's design for the world, Right? Um, and we didn't have to like it. We don't like the rules. But it's kind of like, um, for those of you that have raised kids, you know, like when your kids are little, you don't have negotiations with them about the rules. They keep the rules. They don't have to like it. And you know, like a two-year-old doesn't like any of it, right? <laughs> no, I no. Like you can be, you can hate. It's time to clean your room. I don't want to clean my room. You can hate cleaning your room while you're in your room cleaning it. <laughs> right? Like that's how rules work. It doesn't matter how you feel. Who cares about how you feel about the rules? The rules are the rules, right? That's actually an important part of the development of mankind. What, what Paul's making a case for is that now we're beyond that. 
Because as we mature, we grow beyond our need to just keep the rules because they're the rules. We start to have a different conversation about why the rules and what does that reveal about our heart and why should we want or not want to follow the rules and, and, and what does that mean for us? So there's deeper conversations to have, not just did you follow the rules or not, which is really important when we start thinking about when, when we observe somebody breaking the rules, how do we treat them? Do we treat them as if it's just about keeping the rules or do we treat them as if there's a deeper conversation to have? And that's actually really significant. It's really significant. Um, so then the law was our guardian, our pedagogue, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a Mary Poppins. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now this is crazy. Like we were slaves to sin, now we're sons of God. Like that is a thing. The elevated status of our capacity to function in this universe and mean something and have dignity. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So this is this relationship between, like we keep pulling ourselves back to trying to follow the rules because following the rules is efficient. It's, it's clean, it's black and white, it's, it's definable. It's also incredibly lifeless and stark and barren and lonely. And God's desire for us isn't that we keep the rules. Moral perfection is not the goal of this Christian journey. Connection with the Father is. When, when I say to you, your highest good, the greatest version of you in this world is to be fully engrossed in the presence of God. For many of us, we're like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. For, for many of us also, it's like, but I have these other things that I want to do. I have a great term for those other things that you want to do. They're called idols. There's nothing more important to us than being with God. There's nothing. Our highest achievement as human beings is to be fully engulfed in the presence of God. That's what we're made for. So what's the relationship between the rules and God's presence in our life? Like, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Romans 6, this is a famous passage in the Romans road, way to salvation, but I wanna, I wanna pull this thing apart in a little bit different perspective. Here's what it says. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So when you didn't know that what you were doing was sinning, you just did whatever sin told you to do. He's like, I want to do it, so I'll do it. We all, we've all been in that space, right? We're like, I, we, <coughs> I just want to go do the wrong thing. I don't even know that it's wrong. More importantly, I don't care <laughs> if it's right or wrong. I just want to do it. That's the criteria. What are you doing today? What I want. I'm going to do what I want to do. But, when the, but what fruit were you getting from that? from things of which you are now ashamed. These things that you used to do that you were embarrassed about today. 
Like, man, when you look back on it, you have, I call them shiver moments. Like every time you think about that thing that you did, you're like, ooh. <laughs> I have those. Ooh, that wasn't a good one. Shiver moments. Um, what, what fruit did you get from all your shiver moments? For the end of those things is death. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. So you were, you were slave to sin, now you're serving God. And, and the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. Like, if you're gonna chase death, guess what you're gonna get? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you're gonna chase life, guess what you're gonna get? Life. Here's why. And this is our first point that we wanna talk about. Because there's acts that lead to life and there's acts that lead to death. And acts that lead to death always lead to death. There will never be a time in our life where we go, man, I started taking heroin and then everything was great. <laughs> Can confirm. Like there's not, there's not ever a space where you like, I did this thing that was wrong and man, it went great. I embezzled a million dollars for my company and then I was at peace. Like, nope, no, you're not at peace because now you're scared people are gonna find out. Right, like acts that lead to death lead to death. They always lead to death. 100% of the time, acts, now the good news is acts that lead to life always lead to life. They always lead to life. Now, what does that mean? What is life and what is death? Okay, life is any action that is consistent with God's created order for the world. Okay, so God created the world and then he created rules for it to function by, right? We'll give you an example. Um, the, the principle of generosity. Creation functions on the principle of generosity, right? Like fruit trees give fruit. They don't ask anything in return. They give you fruit. This is the principle, the creation functions this way. Um, you don't even have to water it, the rains come. The, the, you can if you want to, that's great, but you don't have to. The rains come and take care of that. The principle of generosity is a creational principle. So when we're not generous, we're functioning contradic contradictory to God's created order. And that's an act that leads to death. And it will always lead to death generosity doesn't have an off switch, but neither does stingy. It grows. Generosity grows. Stingy also grows. Acts that lead to death lead to death. Acts that lead to life lead to life. The created order functions this way. And so God, so why do we keep the rules? We keep the rules because the rules are better for us. Like the rules, and, it, and it's, we, we think about rules in terms of like hierarchy and authority and that's got such a bad connotation for us that we, we're like, well, the rules are, rules are hard, rules are bad. Rules are, no, 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 no. This is for your good. This is for freedom. This is for like this beautiful exhale of the soul, right? It's like, 
You know, um, if, you, if you like to go out on your porch and you have a south-facing porch and the sun comes up in the morning and the sun's hitting you and it's that first ray of sunshine in the day and it just hits you, it's so awesome and you're just like, ugh. It's that for your soul when you live a life of acts that lead to life. But when we live with acts that lead to death, it's the opposite of that. In Acts 2, um, Peter's giving this really awesome sermon. And he's t- quoting David in the Psalms. And he says, For David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced, and my, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So acts that lead to life will always lead to life. Now, this is just the way the rules work, but the power to actually live in that space comes not from my will, but from my ability to press into the presence of God. That's where it comes from. It's the weirdest thing, the presence of God. I personally, like having a chore list. My mom uh, was a list maker. And so when I was growing up, I'd always, you'd always have Saturday morning chores, right? You're going to get Saturday morning chores done and that's how it's going to go. And she would always make a list. And I love, how fast can I get the list done so I can go play with my Star Wars? <laughs> yeah. Um, I wish I had time to tell you about all my Star Wars stuff. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> It's pretty awesome. I sold it a few years ago. It was really awesome. Uh, how fast? I love the list. List, 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 list. Here's the thing. God's not interested in giving you a chore list so you can go do a chore list, right? God doesn't need me to do a chore list. Here's what I'm learning over the last several months in my time with the Lord. I'm like, God, let's go. Give me a thing to do. And he's like, no. And I'm like, why? He's like, because I don't need you to do anything. And I'm like, well, then what are we doing here? He's like, I just want to hang out. You know what's crazy about it? It's like all the stuff gets done anyways. But it doesn't feel like I'm working. It's frustrating. Because I want to get to the end of the day and be like, I am the man. Look at how hard I worked. That's how I want it to be. God's like, no, no, no. It's like this. It's like if you were in a rowboat and you were at a lake, because that's a really the only appropriate place to be in a rowboat, some body of water. If you were in it in your driveway, people would look at you funny. But if, let's say, you were in a rowboat on a lake and, and you're like, I want to get to the other side of the lake. And it's a pretty good-sized lake. I'm a, well, there's a couple of ways for you to do that. Okay, One is... Um, you can put oars in and you can row across the lake. You can do that. Um, and it's going to take work. And when you get to the other side, you're going to feel like you were drugged through a knothole. But you got there. You made it. The other way to do it is to stay in that same boat, but put a sail up and let the wind ter- carry you across. Both of them get you to the other side of the lake, but how do you feel when you get there? 
when we let the Lord do the work, I have so much more life at the end of it. That's the way it works and acts that lead to life. When I'm living in this space of just saying, before I do anything, I'm pressing into the presence of God. Uh, after I'm done with whatever I'm doing, I'm pressing into the presence of God. And while I'm doing whatever I'm doing, I'm trying to find the presence of God in it. Like I'm constantly trying to press into the presence of God. When I'm there, it's like all I'm focusing on is the presence of God. But all this stuff gets done. God teaches me the paths that lead to life. And I, I get to the end of the day and I'm like, man, that's, that's pretty good. That doesn't mean if you're following God, you don't have a bad day. That's not what that means. Sometimes we do. But that's acts that lead to life. Now, death, acts that lead to death, are anything that's inconsistent with God's created order. When we say yes to Jesus, we give up our rights to our ways of thinking that are inconsistent with God's created order. And this is important because we, even for people who've said yes to Jesus, we're like, but I don't like that rule. I don't like that. And, and we go to, we're like, God, I don't like the way you got that organized. I think we should do that different. God's like, oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> like, who, who am I to say anything to God? Like, what? When I say yes to Jesus, I give up my rights to ways of thinking that are inconsistent with his created order, whether I like it or not. I don't have any rights to it anymore. Now, this doesn't change the temptations that we face. We're still gonna face temptations, it's not like we say, okay, God, you have my life. And then we're like, and I no longer wish to do wrong. <laughs> no, I am a hedonistic little sucker. And there is still going to be times when I want to do the wrong thing. We're all, I'm going to be tempted. I'm going to be tempted to act in that way. Now, it doesn't change any of that. And for the record, the temptations don't get weaker. They don't get weaker. But when I spend time in the presence of God, I become stronger. He transforms me. Not so that I'm not tempted, but so that I have different reasons for not falling to the temptation. So it doesn't change my temptations, it just changes how I respond to them. Earlier in the chapter uh, six of Romans that we were just reading from, it says this in verse five, if, if we have been united with him in death, then we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. When we talk about that, this is, this is in reference to baptism. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we could, would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who's died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So when we say yes to Jesus, our old self dies. It keeps trying to resuscitate though. Daggum. It's dead. And, but, but here's what I can tell you. The more that I'm willing to take space and pressing into the presence of God, the less that I need 
to feel like that fleshly side of me is trying to rear its ugly head. It will try to crop itself up. It will. And until the day we go be with Jesus, we're all gonna have a struggle with that, right? We're gonna be laying that aside. That's the process of sanctification or being made more like Jesus, made to look more like Jesus. That's a process. But the reasons that I have for fighting that, for keeping the rules change because I'm not trying to garner God's approval. God is absolutely 100% enamored and in love with all of us. I'm not trying to garner his approval. I, I wanna keep the rules because when I don't, it leads to death. And my God isn't a God of death, he's a God of life. It's inconsistent with who he is. So it has to be inconsistent with who I am. So I keep the rules not because God's like, good job, little buddy. <laughs> Noogie. You know, the, that's not why we keep it. We keep the rules because it gives us life. And sometimes God intervenes and we think that it's because we broke the rules and he's going to spank us. No, God intervenes because he wants us to get back on the path and walk it. God intervenes because he's shown us the path that leads to life and we've found our way off of it and he's like, hey, I love you too much so that you stay there. I want you to experience life. And so he intervenes to get us back on track. Not because he's mad. God's not angry at you. Parents do that kind of thing. But that's because our perspective is limited and finite. God doesn't have that perspective. He's not angry. He just wants you to get back on the path. Now, the second thing that we need to understand then is that the flesh is still something that we're gonna contend with. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter nine. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. <laughs> there are some of us that are like all athletics, all games, all competition, all every, this is how we do it. If you can't win, why play, right? I think there's a little bit of a different application here. Um, he's talking about spiritually speaking. So when, when runners compete in a race, they run to win. They don't run to be like, I just love the joy of being with all of you. <laughs> they don't run that way. I'm not saying that's evil. I'm just saying in your spiritual life, don't be like that. If you're gonna run spiritually, do it in a way that you're gonna take first place. I'm gonna be Christian of the year. 2023. No one's going to be a better Christian than me. I'm going to know Jesus so much. And if you think you're knowing better, I'm going to dominate you because I'm going to run in such a way as to get the prize, right? Like be serious about it. Do it in a way that takes discipline and focus. These, they, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Like he's like, these guys that are training in athletics, they, they eat right, they sleep right, they work out right, they, they don't hang out with certain people. They do, their whole life is bent around this one single pursuit. And at the end of it, they get a piece of plastic. We're chasing something that is far more important with far less discipline. 
He says, so I will not run aimlessly. How did I I get here? Oh, where am I? I do not box as one beating the air. (laughs) That guy's a fighter. (laughs) Or he's imitating a cat cleaning the top of its head. But I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Like you got, physically we know this to be true. Like when you go, when you go work out, you know there's a, there's a way to do it and, and there's a lot of people that, when, like when you go to the gym, there's a lot of people that are there that are do, they're moving weight but they got no plan. And you can tell, like there's guys that are like six feet tall and they weigh a buck 10 and they're, mostly they walk around like, looking at themselves in the mirror. And then they walk up and grab like a 10 pound weight and be like, take a couple selfies. They're all like, but you are a twig. Like you, you know what's funny is the people that you just look at them and go, hey, that, that guy moves weight. You can tell that guy moves weight. They're just overdoing their business. Like they're not trying to, what? Because they're focused and intentional. Spiritually, that's also true. Like we need to be focused and intentional and disciplined with the way that we spiritually exercise. I discipline my body so that after preaching to others, I myself should not be disqualified. The, the third piece of this that we need to talk about and just take a minute Spending time in the presence of God is the goal to transformation and the purpose of our existence. The reason why you were made is to be in the presence of God. There's nothing else that you can pursue or give your energy to that is important. Psalm 27, here's what David says. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Like David just wanted to hang out in the presence of God all the time. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies. All around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So, this, this is what you have to understand. As David prays and worships, God does the business of taking care of his enemies. And so many of us feel like we got to be ready for war all the time. Like, oh, oh, you want to say something? I don't box as one beat in the air, just so you know. Like we want to fight. Like we have a heart of war. That's not Jesus. When we're so combative all the time, like, oh, cross me. Cross me and see what happens. I may not punch you, but I will verbally ninja, fruit ninja you. Right? Like, it's not Jesus. Like that's, 
God does the work for us. We don't have to defend ourselves. Listen, Christians should never be in the business of justifying themselves. We let God do that. Hear me on that. We should never be in the business of justifying ourselves. We let God do that. What if he doesn't? Then we let God not do it. But it's his call. At least if I don't have to pick a fight every time or go to war every time there's an opportunity, at least I put myself in a position where God can bless me. So I have some implications for us this morning. While we're doing these implications, uh, they're going to start passing out communion. I, uh, it was such a raging success last week that we're going to do it again. Um, really excited. This is where half the congregation gets up <laughs> and talks. You can pass out communion to the other half of the congregation. Takes a village. Um, first implication. The law is only nullified in its capacity to bring salvation. So it's not like the law is not important. It just can't save you. Uh, in fact, it was never designed to do that. Trying to follow the rules proves that we cannot follow the rules completely. That's the, that's the misnomer of the rules. So when we make life about rules and, and we always want to call out when somebody else breaks the rules or they don't do it the way we would do it or whatever, we're setting ourselves and other people up for failure. Implication number two. When we call people to the rules without really having a meaningful relationship with them, we're trying to impose a new law on them that still won't save them. Because it's, if I don't have a real meaningful relationship with you, then I can't say that I care enough about with you to actually really journey through this with you. I just want you to know that I think you're wrong. Well, that's never gonna work. All I've done is impose another law on them. They, nobody needs more rules. What they need is people to say, hey, I don't know exactly what this looks like, but we're gonna do this together. That's what we need. By the way, it's gonna be fun conversation in your life groups this week. Implication number three, spending time in God's presence actually transforms us to be able to live consistent with his created order more fully. And that's important because we wanna make sure that we're living in a way that is honoring of God's created order. Whether we agree with it or not. Implication number four. This is God's world, his will, his way, and his presence is the, our most noble pursuit. And this is truly what we're created for. And here's the thing. The more that you press into the presence of God, the more that you're drawn to press into the presence of God. The more that we make our relationship with God about doing things and task lists and checking boxes, the less you want to be there. Because it's miserable. It's boring. It's, it's lifeless. If your relationship with the Lord and your time with God is lifeless and boring, you're doing it wrong. It's the most life-giving experience that we can engage in. 
So we take communion together every week as a church. And um, so if you're new with us, if you wanna hold those elements to the end, we'll take them all together. Um, but as we're preparing our hearts for communion, I'm gonna give you a, a minute to sit with the Lord on this. Jesus, when he died, gave his life, didn't lay everything down so that you and I could be miserable and cold in our Christianity. Jesus gave his life so that we could have life and have that to its fullest. He wants you to have the fullest life. And so we follow the rules because it leads to life, but we press into the presence because that's where his, the strength for transformation, the, the power to go on, the power to endure, that's where it all comes from. So it's not like the rules don't matter, but the rules can't save you. Jesus died for a life-giving relationship for you. And so as we, as we prepare hearts for communion, I would just ask you to wrestle with this question. Where have you made your relationship with God about rules and boxes? And how are you doing at just simply pressing into the presence of God? Let's talk with the Lord about that as we move forward. the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. Let's remember him together this morning. And then after the dinner, he took a, <coughs> a cup and he said, this cup, this is the blood of the covenant, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, Thank you for your grace, for your patience as we try to navigate what it means to really follow you, um, to understand how to really just press into your presence in the moment and not get caught up in boxes and charts and rules and regulations, but to be consumed in this life-giving presence that you offer. God, would you give us wisdom to know how to, to navigate that well in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>